0: So, um, as I said, this morning I have the privilege of bringing God's word. We have just finished a mini-series on thankfulness, and we're about to start another series called Live It Up, which comes from our tagline, um, Dig In, Branch Out, and Live It Up. So, in the spirit of doing a series, I will be continuing a series on worship that I started in 2010, and... Hope to complete it sometime around 2025 if I live that long. All right, so here is my sermon in a sentence. As we draw near to God in worship, we discover what our soul craves and the purpose for which we were made. This morning I want to look at Psalm 63 written by David to give us some insight to that so I'm going to read it and it'll be up on the screen or it'll also be in your bulletin it comes from the NIV version so let's uh, I'm going to read Psalm 63 and just follow along a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah O oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you my soul thirsts for you my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you're my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your precious and holy word. And we thank you that it does not come back void. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. I pray that I would not get in the way of what you want to teach us through your word. I pray that whatever is not of you would fall on deaf ears, but I pray also that what is of you would penetrate our hearts and transform us to become more the people that you designed us to be, to become more like our older brother, Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to look more closely at verses 1 through 8 and then make some observations. And then I'll come back at the end with some application points. So the first couple of verses um, give us some context. We know that this was written either during David's escape from Saul or more likely in a later period when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. And the first verse tells us that David is in the desert, the desert of Judah. And he describes his surroundings in the next verse when he says, it's a dry and weary land where there is no water. So physically he's hungry, he's thirsty, not to mention the emotional turmoil he must have been going through, being pursued by either Saul or his son. Try to imagine yourself in this situation. If you were in the scorching hot desert emotionally drained without food or water, what would you wish for the most? A glass of water? Some bread? A quarter pounder with fries? (laughs) So during my time in Nashville, I had the privilege of traveling to many places in the world as my role as worship and missions pastor. And I found myself in many uncomfortable situations Nothing near as extreme as David. But here is how I responded in those situations. So uh, right after Peggy and I got got married, we um, spent a summer in Russia. And the place we were staying in looked like it had been bombed. In fact, I'm pretty sure it actually had been bombed at one point. There was rubble everywhere. And at night it would get very cold and there were very few blankets to go around. So we started to get sick from the cold. And I remember desperately wanting to take a hot shower to just shake off the chill. And then several years later, after we had our three sons, um, we did a longer-term missions trip to Cusco, Peru. We lived there for three years. And while we were there, there were no American-type restaurants And after a year of being there and eating the local cuisine, I remember dreaming of a quarter pounder with fries. (laughs) Occasionally, I would get my wish. We would go to a larger city like Lima, and there would be a Burger King or a McDonald's. Um, Typically, it made me sick because my body had become used to what was probably a lot healthier food in Cusco. Another experience in Africa, in Kenya specifically, after driving hours into the scorching, hot, and dry African bush. I remember longing for air conditioning. It was so oppressively hot. I just wanted to sit in an air-conditioned room for a few minutes. So that's how I responded in some difficult situations. If you were in David's situation, how would you respond? What would your if-only be? So of all the things David could have desired he desired communion with God above them all. Look at the next few verses. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. So what was David's experience in the sanctuary that caused him to say God's love, God's presence is better than than life, David was not reflecting on mere outward ceremony of religion in the sanctuary. He's not relishing the beauty of the physical tabernacle or the flow of the sanctuary services or the religious symbols. He's away from all of that in the desert. He's reflecting on something much deeper and more intense. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Better than life. Think about that. What would you put above your own life? What would make you say, if I can't have that, I would rather not live? He's reflecting on something supernatural. It's the mystical union that happens between Christ and his followers in worship, in communion with Christ. And we see this in other places as well. In Psalm 27, David says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. These are such powerful experiences for him, he puts them above his own life. Have you experienced God like that? Do you long to experience God like that? Let's look at the next verse, verse 5. My soul will be satisfied As with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So, in the middle of the desert, in this dry and weary land where there is no water, David says his soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. This is the abundant life we have all heard about. It's the one Jesus said he came to bring us in John chapter 10. It's not the absence of struggle and pain. That brings the abundance, though. It's the presence of God. It comes through worship and connection with God, and we can have it now no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. Are you in a type of desert in your life, a dry and weary land? There is a peace and a satisfaction for your soul that only God can give. We have a deep need for him put there by design. And if you're like me, you don't realize how much you need him until you're in those difficult places. In my case, I try to manage my life on my own. In my pride, I begin to rely on my own abilities and efforts. I become, in a sense, my own source for strength and significance and satisfaction. I move away from God as my source. And in essence, I move away from that which I was designed for. And so this morning, I have a little visual aid. I want to kind of illustrate this idea. Um, who remembers science class from elementary? Who, who loved science class in elementary? A couple of nerds out there. Um, it was my favorite class. And now as a follower of Christ, I love how there are physical laws that point us back to our creator. And so this morning, I want to illustrate something using this Contraption I have here, um, something called resonant frequency. And so this is a little amplifier. Um, my phone is connected to it with a tone generator, and it's generating a frequency that I have already found to be the right frequency for this. And then I'm going to take this drum and watch what happens as I move it closer to the source and then move it away from the source. cool, huh? So um, let's turn that off. And if I were to change the frequency, that would no longer happen, regardless of how close I got to, to the amp. So what's happening here is that built into the design of the drum is a natural frequency that will release energy when it gets close to the source that produces that frequency. So the idea here is obviously it's We get closer to our source, the more we're energized, the more we resonate with our source, God. So how do we stay close to our source? Verses 6 through 8 give us some insight into that. Verse 6 says, On my bed I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night. We have to remember who God is and what God has done. Tom spoke about this last week when he preached from 1 Chronicles 16. He talked about how we need to go regularly to the scripture to be reminded of God's promises. And that he always keeps his promises. That we need to be reminded that God's love endures forever. And it's why we see that phrase a lot in scripture and it's why we sing it in a lot of our songs. Because we are finite creatures that have a tendency to forget And we see this tendency to forget over and over in Scripture. In the Old Testament, God's chosen people turn to him. God blesses them. And then they seem to forget and turn back to idols. And then we see that whole thing start all over again. And it goes on for generation after generation after generation. In the New Testament, I think of the disciples in the feeding of the 5,000. Where Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish He miraculously multiplies them and then gives them to the disciples to pass out to the people. Then later on, there's another crowd, this time 4,000, and Jesus again wants to feed the crowds, to which the disciples reply, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? And it's like I just want to shake them and say, Did you forget what happened with the 5,000? We are forgetful creatures. We have to constantly go back to God's word as a reminder of who he is and what he has done. So David talks about the importance of remembering in Psalm 63 as well. And what's interesting is this is a completely different context. In 1 Chronicles 16, we saw an amazing worship service and celebration as the ark came back into Jerusalem. It's a time of joy. And in contrast, Psalm 63 David is crying out to God in the midst of deep struggle. In both passages, in both contexts, David is telling us that we need to remember. Whether it's a celebration or a time of great trial, we need to remember. As I think of my own life, in times of celebration, remembering God enhances my joy. In deep struggle, remembering God brings a peace and a calm to an anxious heart. If you were here last week, we had a time in worship where we remembered God, who he is, and what he has done. And you guys participated in that. And you shared out loud to God and to us what God was doing or had done in your life. And I don't know about you, but I was incredibly blessed to hear what God is doing in your lives. I remember hearing some of you share something, and then I would think in, in my mind and in my heart, Yes, God, you have been there for me like that too. You've rescued me in that way as well. And it was an amazing time of corporately giving praise to God and thanks to God. And this is one of the reasons we come together on Sunday, to remember God and all that he has done. We, we even help each other, help remind each other who God is. But once a week on Sunday is not enough We also need to remember what he has done for us in our own personal devotion times during the week. We need to remember and reflect on his mercy and his grace and his goodness and as it has played out in our lives. Years ago, I did a Bible study where um, they asked us to take a substantial chunk of time and just to think back on our lives and sort of write down on paper landmarks or spiritual markers of things that we could remember, ways that we could, re- we could remember that God was faithful. And I remember after I compiled that chronological list, just how blown away I was at God's faithfulness. In fact, 20 years later, I still pull that list out to remind me of God's faithfulness. Some people mark up their Bibles with notes. Some like to journal so they can go back and see God's faithfulness over time. Other people write songs or create works of art to help them remember. There are many ways to help us remember. Next, we need to connect with God through worship. Look at verse 7. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Henry Nowen once asked Mother Teresa for spiritual direction, and she said this. Spend one hour each day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. Worship is the act of the abandoned heart adoring its God. It's the union that we crave. It's the union we were designed for. Few of us ever experience anything like that on a regular basis, but we desperately, desperately need it. Simply showing up on Sunday is not necessarily worship, Just because we sing songs that have religious content, it doesn't mean that we are truly worshiping. What counts is the posture of the soul, the posture of the heart towards God. It's about our spirit connecting with the Holy Spirit, and it's a supernatural thing that transcends our human logic. So my heart desperately needs it, yet at the same time, I often find myself fighting to go to that place, to go to his presence where I know I can find it. And as I think about it, I think it's a refusal to be humble. In my pride, I can come up with all kinds of excuses why I won't surrender my heart in worship. Maybe the the sermon really didn't move me or I'll say something like, or I'll think the music wasn't that great. Or maybe the room was too cold or too hot. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, But connection with God should transcend all of those things. It's primarily about the posture of our heart in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. I think of David as he's connecting here in the desert with God. And I'm reminded of Paul in prison and how his circumstances did not prevent him from connecting with God. A pastor I used to work with in Nashville started noticing people were getting way too focused on the music Sunday mornings. And he he heard people making comments as they would leave the Sunday services. Now you might be thinking this is something that could only happen in Nashville, but I promise you I've noticed this in other places as well. And so in a subsequent sermon, he said something that has stuck with me and I wanna share that with you guys. He said, when you're leaving the worship service, instead of talking about how good or bad the worship service was, instead ask how well did I worship? Do you see the shift in, in focus in that statement? It puts the focus back on our own heart and attitude. It puts the focus on our posture towards worshiping God. How well did I worship? Did I connect with God? If the answer is no, I didn't connect with God, I would encourage you to get before the Lord, examine your heart, and see if there aren't some barriers preventing you from surrendering to him in worship. So remember, connect with God, and thirdly, trust. Trust that God loves us and will sustain us. Look at verse 8. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where our faith really gets put to the test. Do I trust God with my life? Do I trust Him enough to let Him be in control? This comes down to what we truly believe about God and how we live based on that belief. Do I believe he loves me? Do I believe he walks alongside me as father? Do I believe he is good? And the truth is we struggle to believe it. I think our core assumptions tend to be that the world boils down to this. We're on our own to make life work. We're not watched over, we're not cared for. When we hit a problem, we have to figure it, out our, figure it out ourselves or just take it. If anything good is going to come our way, we're the ones who have to make it happen and arrange for it. We believe that we're fatherless. We live like orphans instead of like treasured sons and daughters. We feel like we're alone. And this is a lie. You are the son, you are the daughter of a kind and strong and engaged father, a father wise enough to guide you in the way, generous enough to provide for your journey, offering to walk with you every step. Listen to these verses. Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. And then in Psalm 103, verses 11 through 13, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And one of my favorite is this, the story of the prodigal son. The, uh, the younger son took his inheritance and he squandered it. And then when he was destitute, he came crawling back to the father just to take a place in the house as a servant. And then when the father saw him far off, here's what we see happened. Luke 15 verse 20 but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is the father we have. A faithful and good father who loves us beyond what we could imagine. A father who wants the best for his children, even his disobedient, messed up, broken children. A father who we can trust. This morning, I'm preaching this message to myself. I'm struggling right now to believe this in my own life. In a few weeks, I have to have surgery to remove part of my colon because of a disease called diverticulosis. And in the grand scheme of things, I know this is small. Many of you in this room have been through much bigger things So I'm not trying to make a bigger deal out of my little surgery than it really is. But I've never had major surgery before. And so the whole thing is really overwhelming. I'm experiencing a lot of fear. I'm trying to kind of rationalize it in my mind. I'm doubting the decision even to have surgery. Maybe the doctor's wrong. Maybe we're jumping in too soon here. And one of the hardest things is just waiting for the date to come. I feel like this impending doom is coming, like it's my execution. And, you know, as I go through my days, I find my thoughts constantly going towards the surgery and what it will be like. And I want to do something to speed it up. Let's just get this over with. And what I'm realizing is I can't control this. I just have to pray and wait and trust God. Easier said than done, right? I'm trying to respond like David by remembering who God is and what he has done. I'm trying to connect with him regularly to feel his healing presence and his deep satisfaction for my soul. I'm learning to depend on him and trust that he loves me beyond what I know and that he's a good father who wants the best for me, his son. In those moments are sometimes few, but when I can get to that place in my heart, God gives me the peace and the assurance I need in the midst of my anxiety. Are you in a place like that this morning? A place where you need to feel the deep comfort and love of your Father? He's waiting for you. In James chapter 4, it says, If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And like the snare drum that gets closer to the source, we resonate when we draw near to our source. It's in communion with him that we experience what David was describing when he said in Psalm 63, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. In our Westminster Catechism, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And a well-respected author, John Piper, takes that a step further. And he says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. God wants us to find deep joy and satisfaction in fact it brings him glory but he wants us to find it in the right place and he knows that only he can fill that void and so in essence his greatest gift to us is himself it's his presence so the question this morning is where are you finding satisfaction for your soul Are you turning to life's little pleasures to escape to help ease the pain of the drivenness, of the loneliness? Maybe you're struggling with an addiction and turning to false lovers. This is a fatherless way to live. So as we move into our next season of life, as we move into our next season as a church, and as we move into this next sermon series, let's remember where we truly find satisfaction for our souls, from the one who will satisfy us with the riches of foods, from the one whose love is better than life. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that this is true. You truly do love us beyond what we could imagine. Help us to believe it in the depths of our heart and in our soul because it changes everything. It changes the way we live. Father, Bring us to the fountain, the fountain of water that truly satisfies. As the song says, we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. And so we ask you by your grace, by your mercy, if you have to, drag us to the fountain because we know that we need it. We know that we need you desperately. We ask it, we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.